Welcome to the Jesuit Schools Network Ignatian Inquiry Podcast and our third episode of the 2022-2023 school year. The JSN seeks to be a supportive resource to our member schools, and this podcast is designed to be just that, a carved out space to listen, learn, and engage with issues that matter to our collective work as Ignatian educators. We're eager to encourage a spirit of inquiry across the many layers of our work in Jesuit education. We envision our particular brand of Ignatian inquiry to be the art of inquiry as seen through our Ignatian lens, asking questions and exploring issues that matter in our schools through the frame of our shared Jesuit mission. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Karen Botto, who currently serves as the Senior Human Resources Business Partner at Syracuse University. She also teaches individual and collective discernment at the master's level at Lemoyne College. In 2015, Dr. Botto co-developed and published a model of Ignatian leadership in the Journal of Jesuit Business Education, which became the backbone for several leadership development exercises across the United States. In 2019, she completed her dissertation research at Creighton University on the fourth universal apostolic preference entitled Developing the Ecological Self for Sustainability Leadership in Jesuit Higher Education in the United States. Today's conversation focuses on the story of one leader's journey into the connection between ecological conversion and Ignatian leadership of understanding how to support and develop individuals to activate their leadership around environmental sustainability. Dr. Karen Vado's concept of the ecological self is an important one for the universal apostolic principles that are at the heart of so much of our work in Jesuit secondary and pre-secondary education. Her curiosity and foundation in research around the conversion of self, of being that leads to doing, is interesting and relevant to the daily efforts of teachers and leaders within our schools. Dr. Kristen Ross Cully, JSN's Director of Inquiry and New Ventures, joins us for this conversation on such an important topic. Dr. Botto and Dr. Cully, welcome to the podcast. How is everyone doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. How are you, Kristen? Good, thank you. I, it's hard to believe that it is uh, getting to be uh, Christmas time. It's unbelievable. You know, I, I feel like we were just sitting here in the summer kind of planning everything out for the semester, and here it is almost done. It's been a busy um, year. <laughs> very busy, very busy. But Karen, I'm I'm so happy that, that uh, you are joining us here today. I have really loved hearing about your research, which was new to me, and I have found it to be uh, just so timely and interesting and accessible. And I feel like I have learned so much. So I'm I'm really excited to share that with, with our listeners here today. And I think probably the best place to begin is asking you to tell us the tell us the story of of your uh, how your research evolved uh, on ecological conversion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thanks for inviting me to this conversation. Um, you spend a good couple of years of your life writing your dissertation, and then, you know, you hope that somebody actually finds it useful. So thank you for finding it useful and interesting. 
<laughs> because I spent quite a bit of time, uh, you know, on it. And uh, my family was tired of hearing me talk about it. So I'm glad somebody else is, is interested. But um, well, I'll start with I've always been interested in leadership and how leaders can can like tap into the collective intelligence for the good of others. Um, and so that's always been my focus since probably since I was a little girl, I observed leaders. Um, my graduate degree focused on organization development and leadership. And most of my career has been about this idea of developing future leaders for the for Jesuit higher education, um, although that has expanded now out of higher education and just the future of Jesuit education. So I spent over a decade of my time when I was at St. Joseph's University working on integrating modern leadership theory with Ignatian spirituality. And that was a result because I had done the spiritual exercises myself and um, found them to be really powerful. And I was at a convocation one day and our president at the time, Father uh, Timothy Lannan said, how will we be a Jesuit Catholic university with no Jesuits and no Catholics in a couple of years? And I was the learning and development person. So I really deeply thought about, well, what does that mean if I'm here teaching people about, you know, how to manage and how to supervise and how to give feedback? Is there an Ignatian way of doing it? So I worked for a really long time trying to pull these ideas together. Um, I was praying for partners and two partners showed up just when I needed them most, which was Dr. Ron Dufresne and Dr. Spring Steele. And together we would sit over coffee and pour through leadership theory and Ignatian spirituality. I was also being mentored by Father um, Jim Connor uh, of the Society of Jesus, and um, he was really interested about the future and, and how we would take Ignatian spirituality and philosophy into the future together. So he and I were working together. And together, through all of those conversations, we had developed this Ignatian leadership model, which we published in 2015. And our intention, our entire intention was to jumpstart the conversation because we we knew that other people were looking at this topic, but we just wanted to jumpstart the conversation. Um, now, looking back, it became the backbone of several programs across uh, lots of organizations, uh, leadership development formation programs, board of trustee formation programs. So it became this sort of backbone of a lot of different projects, which excited us a lot. In 2019, I was invited to Rome to share this model uh, with other practitioners from around the world. I was completely humbled. I was the only woman from the United States that was part of this conversation. And while I was there, Father Sosa gave this talk about the universal apostolic preferences. They had only been out for about four weeks at the time. And I was just in awe of what he was saying. And he was like, now go back to the United States and talk about this with people. <laughs> and I was like, what do, how do I go back to the United States and talk about this with people? But I came back and I, I really spent a lot of time thinking about the fourth universal apostolic preference. Like that one really just stuck out for me because I hadn't heard about caring for the common home and in a lot of other conversations before. Um, so I was in my doctoral program at Creighton and I kept thinking like, oh, Karen, don't be distracted by this. Like, you know, focus on Ignatian leadership. Don't be distracted by care for the common home. And now I now look back and I'm like, that is so funny that I was thinking it was a distraction because now I realize that it was like a deep desire in me that God had planted. Um, so it wasn't a distraction. It was like actually part of God's plan to like, hey, maybe you could integrate 
sustainability leadership into this model. So, um, but at the time I didn't know a lot about sustainability leadership. So decided to take a, I had one um, elective at Creighton University. I took a sustainability leadership class and that curiosity just kept growing and growing and growing. And I find my bookcase just kept growing with um, anything that was related to sustainability leadership, eco-philosophy, eco-spirituality, you name it. And I was reading it. And so I started, the other thing that was really perplexing to me at the time was as my interest was growing, I noticed that nobody else was talking about it. So leaders were so busy with the problem of the hour, the problem of the day, that this huge, big issue of climate change seemed to like not be in anyone's focus. So I started to wonder, could I create an experience similar to the past experiences where leaders could pause long enough to fall in love with nature? Um, and so that became the, the focus of my dissertation research. So I ran a study uh, across the AJCU network, a six-week leadership exp- uh, program. Uh, participants were faculty and staff. The design was incredibly simple. I introduced uh, three contemplative practices. Um, I asked people to practice three times a week for two weeks and can, to keep an electronic journal about their experience. I was blown away with what they shared with me in those journals. Um, first of all, I felt really honored that they would like let me see their journaling. But there were these amazing stories about catalpa trees and spiders that they had made friends with and geese and rocks and beaver dams and cicadas that they were afraid of. But it was really very, very moving for me and unexpected. And I realized that I was actually witnessing their ecological conversion and their falling in love. Um, so that's a little bit about how this all came to be. I'm just as surprised as anybody else that this is where my dissertation research took me. But it's a journey that I would never change in a million years because I had my own conversion. And then to be able to assist others in their falling in love was really meaningful in my life. I find it so motivating hearing about how a professional kind of finds the path of, I guess, what their passions, for lack of a better way of saying it, within the context of their work. I think we're so lucky in Jesuit education that we're, you know, whether it be a pre-secondary or secondary setting that many of our listeners are in or higher education, your setting, but that we're in these places where uh, pursuing and exploring and finding those interests is really encouraged and but motivating because it takes a person's initiative mm-hmm. to really find within the context of their busy days. I mean, you you speak about leaders being busy, um, you know, with the with the, the problems of the day. Well, you are too, you know. But here you are having developed this this body of of knowledge that that again I think that we all can learn from. So I love hearing that, and I also really find it inspiring hearing about how your your faith was such a big part of that process like this the way you said uh praying for partners you know that really kind of resonates and and the listening to a deep desire that that god had planted I agree with you 100%. Being in Jesuit higher education um, for all these years, I am so fortunate that the concept of vocation was always like presented to me like, you have a call, follow that call, listen for what God's, you know, asking you to do. And um, so the concept of discernment and where am I feeling joy and connection? And where am I feeling those moments of desolation? And what do they mean? So I feel really lucky that I 
have spent this amount of time in Jesuit higher education because it's definitely transformed who I am. And I didn't yeah. do my undergraduate or in in, um, in Jesuit education. So I came as a new professional to this world and became very curious about a lot of things. I asked many, many Jesuits crazy questions along the way. Um, I actually asked one Jesuit if he had ever done the spiritual exercises once because I didn't know. Like I came to it so new, you know. Um, sure. So They've taught me a lot. I've been really blessed to have a lot of great Jesuit friends in my life who guided me along the way. Sure. And shapes who you are as a, as a person and as a professional. So let's talk about, can you, will you define for us what, what is the ecological self and what is a conversion? What do you mean by it? So the way I see the ecological self is this interior condition of a person who identifies oneself as being part of nature. A lot of times we think nature is outside or somewhere else and we go into nature but we as human beings are actually part of this interconnected world and I think we've shut ourselves off from that in many ways um I think COVID actually helped us reconnect we saw a lot more people in parks and in nature and you know putting their feet in the grass because they could and um so it's that part of us that actually identifies and remembers that we are part of this we are part of this interconnectedness of all the living beings and on the planet and so um so i got really fascinated by this concept of ecological self and can we remember or or at least know that we're part of this and then ecological conversion is for me is this sort of ongoing transformation of our mind and our heart and our will um, to help us change the way we live and behave. Um, so if we fall in love with the earth, like if we <clears throat> go and take a walk in the in our I have this amazing preserve down the street from um, our, our house here called uh, Woodchuck Hill Preserve. When I walk in there and I fall in love with the trees and the grass and the, you know, the deer and whoever I see along the way, the moss, the next thing about falling in love is I want to care for it, right? I want to care for this. I want to preserve it for others. I want to tell other people about it. So for me, ecological conversion is sort of this ongoing, like heart opening to all living beings, um, you know, in and around the world. And so what was kind of cool about the research that I did was we practiced these three practices. But what I found was people started to talk about when I fall in love with nature, then I can apply it to the coworker that I'm having challenges with. And so all of a sudden they were applying this knowledge in other ways um, out and about around um, the work that they do. And it's that it's that that conversion of self of being that leads to doing yeah, that I think feels so um, almost practical. Practical doesn't feel like the right word, but it's what I think allows when I when I listen to you and when I read your work and I think about how the UAP for caring for the common home is one that I think a lot of folks wrestle with. You yeah. know, like you you want to embrace it and you want to understand it, but what is it? What is it beyond? What is it in terms of living? How do you live it? So I only had six weeks with these participants and never did I really use the word leadership. I never used the word earth. Like, I mean, I, I said, go out, you know, side in nature and do these practices. But what was fascinating to me was when I got to do, I did phenomenological interviews with people afterwards. Um, they described, we never talked about, oh, action plans. Here's what you do, right? And in a lot of leadership programs, it's like, well, what actions will you take? Well, we didn't talk about that. Um, but what was uh, amazing was, was because they started to care about something in their own local area, because they were taking these walks in the woods and things like that, they started naturally saying, what can I do? I now want to do something. And so 
they started telling me all of these different um, outcomes that they were on their own thinking about. And it was everything from researching the local area to finding out about a water supply to knowing what else they could do. Um, one gentleman said, oh, now I like look at the trash differently. Like, so he, it was it was uh, very individually motivating for them. They sort of just took these actions on their own. Never be, We never actually had the conversation of what actions will you take? It just naturally happened. Um, which was a beautiful thing. Well, and it really speaks to that idea of jumpstarting the conversation. I think you were referencing your early work with leadership studies, but that's really, that's really very clearly what you what you were doing here. Now, what is it? I, I'm really curious to hear. You referenced this a bit when you spoke about the exercises, but I'm really curious to hear um, what is it about Ignatian spirituality that so deeply animates this conversation that you are raising. I think the first thing um, that comes to mind is that um, that idea of becoming a contemplative in action, right? So leaders are really busy. We're taking lots of action in the world. We're doing lots of things every day. But when I ask these individuals to like pause and do some deep reflection on what was happening around them, you know, people had to learn to become present with themselves. And so Ignatian spirituality encourages us to reflect on our values, the actions we're taking, the outcomes we're trying to achieve. Um, and so just the fact of like pausing for a moment and thinking about, you know, nature, the world around us, the impact that we're having. Um, I think that is one key piece is that we have this both being active in the world and being contemplative in the world. But I know a lot of leaders are like, I'm way too busy to do this contemplative practice. And yet it becomes the source of aligning our actions in the world, right? And so when we don't do the contemplative piece, when we don't do the thoughtful reflection, we can feel really frantic and disconnected, you know, from the what's happening around us. So the pause, the stopping, but that was a big piece of my research. Uh, leaders told me over and over again, they had to learn how to become present. Um, and that was really hard for them. Um, they, uh, they had to leave, I asked them to leave their technology behind. So I said, when you go take that walk in the woods, don't bring your phone with you. That was so hard for so many people. They said that they almost felt like they were missing something, a limb of some sort. And um, once they let it go, though, once they act, they actually were like, oh, I can be fully present here. I can actually hear more deeply or, or see more deeply. So so I think the first thing is Ignatian spirituality encourages us to do the deep reflection, you know, the values, the actions. The other piece is Ignatian spirituality. One of the gifts that Ignatius gave us was this concept of discernment. So now that I've reflected and sort of wrestled with some of this, whether it's the desolations that I feel, the shame that I feel that I'm not more ecologically, you know, the ego anxiety that we're having, whatever that might be, um, we are called to take that into our discernment. So we can realign ourselves, um, you know, to take more thoughtful action in the world for the greater good. So um, this wasn't all, you know, people came to some of these sessions really struggling with a lot of things. And so, but that's okay. That's okay, right? We can bring all of that to God. We can bring all of that to our prayer life um, because this is that's what Ignatian spirituality teaches us is that it's all important, right, in, in our prayer life. So the last thing that I would say about Ignatian spirituality um, is this concept of finding God in all things, being in all of the world around us, the gratitude that we feel. There was an overwhelming sense of joy that people described to me, both in their journals and in the interviews, about they found God in nature. Like when they walked out, they fell in love with a tree. 
a really interesting story was I, uh, when I went for my graduation, one of the research participants said, oh, I live not far from Creighton. Why don't I pick you up and I'll take you to some of the sites that I went to. So he showed me trees and he showed me water and he showed me plants and they were just everyday kind of things. But in his mind, he was so in love with these things that he wanted to share them with me and he wanted to care for them. Um, so I think it was that sort of inspiration of finding God in all things being in awe and um, being surprised at what brings you that connection and joy. So um, I think those are some of the things that I think Ignatian spirituality lends to this conversation. And also the connection of the timing of the pandemic. I mean, that idea, we hear so much the power of the pause, you know, outside of our worlds, but it's really what you're, it's really what you're speaking to. And that idea of, of being present and of being present with themselves, particularly for our leaders, but for every kind of busy, busy person, right. And busy professional. When I listen to you too, I hear, um, it sounds like you helped the participants in your study figure out ways that they are contributing to this conversation on sustainability. Again, feeling like for many people, it might be something that they might not really understand. Where do I fit? What can I do? What more can I do beyond recycling? You know, that kind of thing. And you're, uh, to say it too simply, but you really are helping folks figure out, well, what can I do? How do I contribute in this way to, to my own way of being and how I kind of live in the world? And I liked seeing people get excited about what they were going to do. So there was one of the things that I didn't write about much in my dissertation, but now it's coming to mind was all of the parents that were in the program that then said they were going to do something different with their children. That was that was so beautiful to see the moms wanting to have the conversation and wanting to take their kids out into nature and like not bring technology and to one of the practices that I asked them to do was Shinrin-yoku, which is from the Japanese tradition um, called also known as forest bathing, where you actually go into nature and you you walk mindfully and you touch things. Um, so you use all your senses. So you touch moss or a tree bark. Um, you smell. What does that smell smell like? Um, you, you know, um, feel the wind, you see a flower and um, that slowing down that you don't even have to go very far into nature to see that you could do it with the tree right outside your window. But what was really interesting was people wanting to ripple this out to other people. So when we have this ecological conversion, we want others to be in that joyful all filled space with us about nature. Um, so we want to take our kids or our friends or, um, yeah. So I think that was really inspiring to me to see people wanting to share this with others. Well, in talking about slowing down, I mean, doesn't that we, we opened our conversation, you know, speaking about just the, the busyness of this time of year and here we are in Advent and, 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 and so much happening. And just that reminder as I'm listening to you, yeah, again, the idea of presence and pause and slowing down. And it's really terrific to just to listen to. I often think that leaders <clears throat> feel like they should be busy, right? They feel like they should be contributing and doing, but some of the best leadership is when we pause, get really centered in who we are and which actions we should take and do the discernment that we need to do so that we can take right action versus frantic action, right? And people benefit from that. Like if, you know, I'm a parent to three kids, if I'm 
frantic and unsettled, I'm bringing that to the rest. We know that emotions are contagious, right? And so I'm bringing that to the rest of my family. Whereas if I just took a walk in nature and allowed my parasympathetic nervous system to like relax and say, it's okay, then I'm going to be a better mom, right? I'm going to be a better parent, a better spouse. I can make better decisions. So I think all of it's interconnected. Um, So often leaders feel like I should be doing something, but sometimes it's about being and being present with others. That is the real gift. And allowing yourself to do that, you know, allowing yourself the, giving yourself the permission to, to remember that and to take action, that that is your action, especially for type A, busy, achievement oriented leaders, which so many, so many folks are the reminder of that it, it hits just right at this time of year. So that the connection to the spiritual exercises, it sounds like the exercises that you that you mentioned early on, you know, that that was obviously transformational for you. And that's where the connection is to the conversion. Is that am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think these, when we can spend time, you know, really deeply reflecting on who I'm called to be, what I value, and, you know, when we can connect that to nature, and you can see all the gifts that we've been given, right, clean drinking water, a lot of people around the world don't have that. Or there was a, there was a really interesting story that someone said to me, we were on one of these um, uh, calls, and we debriefed some of this, the exercises. And one of the individuals said, the only nature they found was a turf grass turf like um that you walk on and a little bush outside that had a red solo cup in it and there was another woman from another part of the country because these were all spread out all over the United States who said when that young woman said that that was her only nature i became really sad and realizing that i have been given all of these gifts of nature like i live on an acres worth of land that has lots of trees and so it became this sort of reality check of um, all the gifts that we've been given. And then once again, when we've been given those gifts and we feel that sense of gratitude, we then want to give back um, in some way to someone or something, right? So yeah, I think that's where that connection to the spiritual exercises is. I'm remembering all these fun stories. Thank you for like, I, there's all these people popping up in my mind. We became very close during this process. I became very close with the research participants because of the stories that they shared and they, they changed me in many ways. I feel very connected to them. I'm sure I'll stay connected to them for the rest of my life. Um, so because of this experience. So like I said, it had this like interconnection between all of us across the United States. Well, and I think it's that personal connection that comes through really loud and clear in your research. I think that's why it's so compelling. You know, you, I mean, both from you and your engagement with your work and you kind of thinking about wrestling with an idea and then moving it forward and forward and forward and reading and researching and writing a dissertation. You know, it just, it comes through. I think that's what allows so many of us to be drawn to it. What would you say, Karen? What are some, what are some practical steps that teachers, educators, school leaders can take to develop their ecological self, their own conversion? Well, the first thing is to spend some quiet time in nature with the earth. So whether that means, you know, um, like there was an instruction that I would give people, like, if you get a chance, go outside, take your shoes off and feel your feet in the grass. And someone told me they hadn't done that in a decade, felt their feet touch the earth. So I say, spend time, schedule it if you need to, sort of like you schedule your exam schedule that time to be in quiet reflection with nature, whether that's sitting on a back patio, walking in the woods, um, and notice what happens when you do that, right? Because there isn't, we have this connection to the earth that becomes very apparent when we start spending time with nature. 
Um, my other one I said already, leave technology behind. I know that's going to be really hard for a lot of folks. And people, you know, talk to me about that at the beginning of the program of like, oh, I can't just leave my phone behind. But I would say leave it behind if you can, um, even if it's just for short periods of time, because I think you'll find just being in nature um, will help you become learn to be more present. And there's too much of a distraction when the phone is there. The other thing I would say is if you can integrate a contemplative practice into that time. So whether that's the ecological examine or the concept of Shinran Yoku, whatever it is, you know, maybe you come out of nature and then do some journaling. That would be another really important practice. Um, and then in terms of consolation and desolation, these two really important Ignatian concepts, when you have the feeling of gratitude, savor it. So if you find a tree that like, there's this one tree down the street that literally looks silver in certain daylights. And I stop and I just, um, I savor that tree. I savor the look of it. And then that feelings of like really deep gratitude. I start to wonder like, how long has it been there? And what's it been through? And, you know, like really getting connected to it. Sometimes I'll tell my kids if we're walking through the woods to stop and touch that tree because it just to connect with it. Um, so when you have those feelings of consolation, savor them. But I will tell you that a lot of people when it comes to climate issues are feeling really strong negative emotions. So they, there's eco anxiety um, and it's really prevalent in our younger our younger um, groups. So the youth are really feeling a sense of eco anxiety. They may not be using those words, but a desolation about what the future holds. So when those moments of desolation happen, um, I try to say like sit with them and allow them to transform into love because oftentimes when we're feeling desolate or ashamed that we haven't given the earth much attention or we're treating it in a certain way, it's because we love it and we want to be connected. And so how do you let that transform into something something different, you know, but it takes a little time and not to be scared of those feelings because they mean something to you. Um, I said journaling. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of journaling. Um, and the reason is, and that's why I had participants do the electronic journal is because we gain new perspective over time when we put things down on paper. So even if you only journal Everyone's always tells me I'm not good at journaling. It takes too much time. I say open up just a couple of words, just a couple of ideas, because I guarantee that if you look back over time, you're going to start to see patterns of things that mean something to you. The last two things that I'll say is um, allow yourself to see the world with new eyes. One of my research participants said to me that uh, particularly Shinrin Yoku, when he practiced that forest bathing piece, he said it was like putting a new lens of a camera on um on a new lens onto his camera and he said and I could see things in a totally different way so allow yourself to be amazed go into the woods and feel moss um find a toad and follow it for a little while feel bark on a tree and just be amazed by it right but get curious so and see the world with completely new eyes almost like childlike eyes spend time there just being in awe you know and then the last one when you have that conversion I mentioned this already when you have that conversion you feel that joy bring others with you then you know along on the route so engage others around you whether if you're a teacher can you take a class outside and sit under a tree for a little bit and maybe not even class just sit under a tree for a little bit and have conversation have people pause and look out a window if you can't go outside but engage others in that activity especially if it seems counterculture to your organization it probably means your organization needs it more um, so those would be my, my tips is, uh, you know, go through your own conversion so that you can bring others along on the journey because it will be a joyful journey. And that idea of really living this in the everyday, you know, you're talking about activating learning 
You know, I love the allow yourself to be amazed. And I love that the ideal of doing this work, taking this time, writing it down, being present, you know, the things that we know are so important to greater well-being, yeah. greater personal growth, which then lends itself to to broader change. You know, that that old saying of you want to change the world, you start at home. Yeah. And that's the that's the piece I think that that teachers, leaders, uh, folks listening to the conversation can can kind of dig into and again be be authorized to spend time on this type of work and that's how the the conversion really happens from your own growth to to then you get into the programs and the bigger pieces and the 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 challenge that that Father General um, posed to you and that a meeting that sparked <laughs> so much of your learning I mean it's if he really only cool, knew that he circle. inspired all of this <laughs> I know I know <laughs> you that little share. conversation I'm like that's oh go back to my country and talk about it okay <laughs> There you go. That's exactly what you've done. And that connection again to um, to leadership, I think, is probably um, a good place to conclude, you know, thinking about there's so much conversation about the well-being of leaders, particularly through all of the challenges of the pandemic and the struggles, you know, kind of along the way when it comes to our to our schools. And I, of course, define leadership. Every the, the, A teacher in a classroom is a leader in his or her own setting. I mean, everyone embodies the mission of the school in that way. But that connection to, to leaders' attentiveness and well-being, I think, is so such a positive. Um, and again, in a way that um, that you feel like you can actually do this, that you feel like that, that idea of being and doing is so strong. So I thank you for sharing, for sharing your work. And yeah. And like, like you, I also define leader as anytime two people come together, it's have I left the person in a more inspired, better place, or are they kind of brought down by my, you know, um, being with me. And so, yeah, you're right. It can be a parent and child, a teacher and a a student, two students together. You know, we all have this opportunity to lead from a place of connection. One of the things that I I will say, which was interesting, because we're all experiencing burnout and exhaustion and things like that. Um, I asked some questions because I didn't want them to know what I was studying because I was trying to study the ecological self, but I didn't want to tell them that. So I had a lot of just, I'll call them fake questions in the pre and post assessment. One of them was whether the experience helped them on a personal level. And 86% of the participants said it helped them on a personal level. And they shared stories of how being in nature restored them. And I think what we need as human beings to remember is that our well-being is inextricably connected to the well-being of the planet and all living beings, you know, and so... <clears throat> it, you know, it's a benefit when we go into the nature that we feel better, um, but we also then care. And so there's this reciprocality of being in relationship to nature and the earth and God in that. So, um, yeah, so I think I think that there's a, a lot that can be learned in uh, just going out and spending some time in nature. And maybe that's our homework. Maybe that's our challenge for the holidays, carving out some time. You I will know, add to this because I do think a lot of people describe nature as like, or like, let's just say the weather as good or bad, right? It's raining, so I can't go outside. It's snowing, so it's too cold. I'm going to challenge people and say, go out when it's snowing. It is one of the most beautiful, exquisite experiences. You're you're alone in the woods with the snow and you hear different things and you smell different things. And so try not to evaluate whether something's good or bad. Just be in it, right? And just experience it for what it is because all of it's a gift. So it's a good challenge. Yeah. Spend time in nature with your loved ones. There we go. I like that. I like that homework. That sounds great. Homework.
you so much, Karen. Thank you really for not only the contributions of the work, of the research that you have created here, uh, but, but for sharing it with us and for sharing it with our schools. Well, thank you for being interested in it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ignatian Inquiry podcast. Additional information on Dr. Botto's research, along with her contact information, can be found on JSN's website at www.jesuitschoolsnetwork.org slash Ignatian-Inquiry-Podcast. We wish all our listeners a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. The Ignatian Inquiry Podcast is hosted by Kristen Smith and Dr. Kristen Ross Cully. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by Kristen Smith and directed by Dr. Kristen Ross Cully. To learn more about the Jesuit Schools Network, please visit www.jesuitschoolsnetwork.org. Stay curious and set the world on fire.